Amen. Well, we're in the book of Psalms, and so we're going to pick it up in Psalm 6. Psalm 6. If you're new or visiting, we're doing a chronological study through the book of Psalms, and we're going to cover Psalm 6 and Psalm eight, uh, 7 this morning. Psalm 6 and Psalm 7. Psalm 6, to the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-string harp, a psalm of David. Psalm 6 here is called a penitential psalm or a psalm of repentance. We don't know when David wrote this, but his illness, as we read through it, you're going to see his illness is real. He's expressing a season of sorrow. And godly sorrow will definitely lead to reconciliation and restoration. As we read through it, you're going to see there is a godly sorrow, a repentance that's taking place in his life, which is always the heart of God. So Psalm 6, verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me, discipline me in your hot displeasure. That is a great prayer. Absolutely. I mean, who would ever want to get God's anger poured out on them? And, and I would encourage anyone here, I would never encourage you, Lord, please give me what I deserve. You don't ever want to pray that. And David actually is going to pray that in Psalm 7, it's what you're going to see. No, just give him thanks that he pours forth his grace and mercy upon you. Verse 2, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me. For my bones are troubled. This is where we get this idea of something's going on in his life. David acknowledges his weakness or illness and it appears as though David is equating, possibly equating his sin with his illness. And that is not a stretch as you're going to see in just a few minutes. You see, some Christians, even to this day, will endorse that type of theology. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we know that by taking communion, as we did last Sunday, while living in willful disobedience or while living an unworthy lifestyle, that some believers in Corinth were becoming weak, some were becoming sick, and some were even dying. It's in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But you know, in most situations, illness is just the overall curse handed down in the garden. Let's look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. You see, the main thing we need to keep in mind is that God can use whatever illness might come upon us for His glory. This is so key that that we need to keep in mind that God can use whatever illness might come upon us for His glory. And in John chapter 9 we read this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That is very important to theology. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you see the correlation? They had a theology that was being propagated in that day and age where if a child was born with a defect, it was possibly one of two things. 
his parent, the child's parents were in sin, and so they were being punished because of the sin that they were in. So that's why the child was born with a defect or a physical handicap. Or the second thought was that the child actually sinned within the womb, so the child was being punished by having a physical abnormality. Both are theologically incorrect. And Jesus straightens it up by saying this. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus is dealing with theology. He's not dealing with the issue of did they sin, did they not sin. No, they obviously sinned. But with the question you're asking me, you're talking theology, let me clear the issue up for you. Neither one of them sinned. This is not because someone sinned. But rather, Jesus goes on to say, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The works of God. Let's make it a little more personal. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. How could this possibly play out in our lives, even to this day? Because again, the main thing we need to keep in mind is that God can use whatever illness that might come upon us for His glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul writing, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a, throne, a, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul was a Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, you'll remember in the scriptures. Paul was very, very prideful. Most religious people are. And so now becoming a Christian, I personally believe that God allowed something to come into his life to humble him and to keep him in that humble state. Just read your Bible. You can figure it out yourself. Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. What might that thing be? Well, as you read the epistles, I personally believe you can see that it was most likely his eyesight. He had an issue with his eyesight. He says in one epistle, I have written this with my own large handwriting. Another epistle, he says, you love me so much you would have given me your very eyes. So when you put the pieces together, he most likely had an eye ailment of some sort. And it says that he asked the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. Lord, heal me. What's Paul saying? Heal me. Lord, heal me. You know, for me personally, I, I wasted my mind in the 70s. People are like, no, come on. No, I literally did. I, I did drugs, and unfortunately, it took it had an impact on my life. And I went to pastors and prayed. I mean, some people say, well, you have selective memory, or well, you're just choosing not to remember. No, it's, it's just the way it is. And so I went to Pastor Mike McIntosh, which if you know him, you might not know him, but he was doing drugs in the 70s, and one night he was doing a drug, and, and he was on a trip, a literal trip, psychedelic trip, and somebody came up with a gun, and they fired a gun right next to his head. Well, because he was on that trip, the effects of it was, when he looked into a mirror, 
he literally thought that half of his head had been blown away. He was toast. And this lasted for quite a while. He received Christ as his Savior. He went for prayer. And the Lord actually restored his, his mind. To this day, he has an excellent memory. So I'm going, okay, I'm going to go with Pastor Mike. Because he's got it. He can pray for me and I'll get it back. Because he got it back. And so on one pastor's conference, I went up and explained what happened. He said, okay, well, I'll pray for you. We'll see what happens. He prayed for me. I didn't get it back. <laughs> and I had to just learn. Okay, God, this is, for whatever reason, this is what you have for me. This is what you have for me. And it's to keep me dependent upon you. And so I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to whine. I'm not going to beg. I'm just going to move on. Because obviously, God, you want to do something in my life. So to you be the glory. And so what does Paul say in verse 9? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you must be in sin. You have an eye ailment or you have some other problem. The enemy is getting a foothold in your life. Paul, you must be in sin. No, not at all. Not at all. God just wanted his attention. Therefore, most gladly, Paul goes on to say, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, notice in verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now, this is self-inflicted. This isn't like being foolish for Christ and, and reaping sin that you've sown and then reaping sin and reaping sin and keep sinning. No, no, no. He's living a Christian life. He's seeking after the Lord. Things are happening to him that others would say, well, there must be a problem. He's not holy enough. Not at all. That's improper theology. Paul says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Notice that. For you and I as believers today, as we continue down this road of Christianity, and as we take a stand against same-sex marriage, as we take a stand against people living together, as we take a stand against drugs or alcohol, or whatever it might be that society says is acceptable, as we take that stand, we are going to receive persecution. It's happening a lot in America. It's no more, well... Just ignore them, they're Christians. No, now they're in your face. Who are you to say? Who do you think you are? And as we speak the truth in love, we will be persecuted. But notice it's for Christ's sake, so speak the truth in love. And then what does he go on to say? Conclude, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The world will never understand this. The world can't understand it. For you and I, we can understand it. Because when I become weak, when I become less self-reliant, when I really believe I can't do this, I need a crutch, I need a stretcher, I need an ER room, I need Jesus. Then you're acknowledging your weakness and the Holy Spirit will come in you and upon you and give you more strength than you've ever imagined possible. And you'll look back and go, God. You won't look back and go, me, me, strong, mm, me, strong. No, you'll look back and go, God. 
And then when people talk to you, what are you going to say? Me strong. No, you're going to say, God. God. You know, you know, do you know what God did for me? Do you know how God delivered me? You know how God's getting me through this even though I haven't been delivered? And it's going to be all about what? You're going to be sharing about God. You're going to be living for Christ. And people would go, man, you are so strong. Claudia's heard that a lot. You know, I see Claudia behind the scenes. And I'm not bashing her. But she's human. She has hard days. She has hard moments. But she goes back to the Lord. And that's how the Lord is drawing her to Him in this season of life. And she is becoming stronger in the Lord and stronger in the Lord and stronger in the Lord even through this season of cancer. It works. It's applicable. The world can't figure it out. But for you and me as believers, we can figure it out and we can allow the Holy Spirit to grow us. But what does that take? Surrender. It takes surrender. So back in the psalm, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? How long? The word troubled here is shaken. Shaken. David is shaken down to his very soul. Not just his bones, that's because he goes on to say, return, O oh Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. It's now it's just not my bones, it's my very soul. This is having an incredible impact upon my life. And maybe, from what I just shared with you with the disciples, maybe he is thinking that sin was causing his illness. So he asks a simple question. How long? How many Hail Marys do I need to say? How many Our Fathers? How far do I need to crawl on my knees, God, before you deliver me? That's a wrong concept of God. Very wrong concept of God. Again, God has a plan and a purpose and God will deliver David in his affliction and will deliver us as well. That doesn't mean necessarily deliver us out of our affliction, but he will deliver us and take us through our affliction, which often and most of the time is way better than going around it. Verse 5, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Now, there is remembrance of God beyond the grave, and other scriptures make that perfectly clear. You can think of the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man went to Hades and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom and there was a conversation taking place. We need to remember that there was going to be continued revelation and inspiration of God's word. You see, David had an opinion. But remember, David lived in 1000 B.C., And his perspective was just that, his perspective. And I like the fact that the Word of God doesn't hide someone's perspective, but allows that person to put it out there. What we're seeing is David is putting it out there. Even though his perspective is wrong, God doesn't say, oh, I don't like that, David. We're we're wiping that out of the Bible. Because there's other people that have the same perspective, even today. Jehovah Witnesses. If you're not a Jehovah Witness and you die, you just go into nothingness. Nothingness. You never existed. You don't exist then. It's over. Just into nothingness. It's not scriptural, but that's what they believe. That's what David is saying. So again, we want to read from Genesis to Revelation. You look at Job. It's another great example. And God called Job on the carpet. 
for his inadequate perspectives, as well as his counselors. They had inadequate perspectives. You see, the bottom line for us today, read the whole word and let God's word build you into a proper perspective, which is what? God's perspective. It's eternal. God's perspective is eternal. And that's why you and I, we need to constantly go back to the word of God. It's, it's, it's eternal. God's perspective is eternal. Verses 6 and 7. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. Now David here is exaggerating. But he is expressing his heart. And I think sometimes we get so fo- focused on our emotions that our emotions end up consuming our thoughts. And David here is saying, I am weary with my groaning all night. I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. How about this? When will I get out of this? I think we all ask that question when we're going through something. When will I get out of this? I think what we really need to ask is what can I get out of this? What can I get out? And Paul, even though he asked God, take this thorn away from me. I'm tired of this. I don't want this. He died with it. He could have kept saying, when God, when? When are you going to deliver me of this? But instead he just said, well, what can I get out of this? I can realize that I'm weak. But because I'm weak, I have to depend on God. And because I depend on God, I'm actually strong. And that impacted his whole life. So for you and I as well, as we go through things, we need to keep asking the Lord, not get so caught up on our emotions. We have them. But not allowing our emotions to consume us, but rather, get it quickly. God, what? can I get out of this? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to be more like Jesus at the end of the day? Verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. You see, the Lord hears and will answer according to his timing. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes says he makes all things beautiful in his time. But what I get out of these verses, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, is be careful who you hang around with, who you fellowship with. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this. Do not be deceived. You see, the enemy's number one tactic, Revelation chapter 12, The enemy's number one tactic is to deceive the whole world, including you and I as believers. So do not be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good habits. Be careful who you hang around. Be careful who you go to counsel to. Be careful. Even on social media, be very, very careful because you can find yourself typing things in that you would never say to someone's face. You will be expressing yourself sometimes on social media out of a momentary flesh, a reaction. And once it's out there, you can't pull it back. 
And we all represent Jesus. We all represent Christ. And yes, we all make mistakes. But be very, very careful. Make sure your theology comes from Genesis to Revelation. Yes, we express ourselves, sometimes inappropriately. So we have to repent, draw it back in, and say, okay, God, what do I need to do? I need to depart from those who are workers of iniquity and focus on you more and more. Psalm chapter 7, or Psalm 7, not chapter 7. Song 7, Psalm 7. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 26. It appears that Cush was one of the men who gave counsel to King Saul, the first king of Israel. And he probably spoke evil of David and tried to bring David into the king's hands. It's a a song, a psalm, it's a song of the slandered. Slandered. You know, gossip or slander is a very wicked thing to do. And so also is insinuating. Be very, very careful. This happened recently um, in my life a few weeks ago where someone insinuated something. And I, I talked to them. I said, you know, be very careful with what, what you just said. A person can draw this conclusion. And they listened to me. And they said, okay, I, I see what you're saying. You subtly insinuated something. Be very careful in you with, even with insinuations because they will divide They'll divide, they'll bring division. And even within the body of Christ, I'm sure some of you in this room can share a previous church experiences where something was insinuated, there was gossip, there was slander, and it devastated a church. It can happen. So we have to speak the truth in love. So in 1 Samuel 26, let's get maybe the background to this psalm. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servants? For what have I done? And what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servants. If the lord has stirred you up against me. Let him accept an offering. I will repent and I will bring an offering to him. Notice the hymn is capitalized. So God, I will apologize to God and I will apologize to you. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Notice that little g. David, go serve other gods. You're not following our God. Slander. Very subtle. Verse, uh, again, Psalm 7. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush of Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. You see, after the damage is done, David went to the right source, God. 
And it's, it's, it is estimated that David was running from King Saul up to 10 years, possibly. But David went to God. So, question. Do we trust that God will take care of us or we try, or do we try to defend ourselves? Because God will deliver and will deliver the best way possible. His way. His way. And that's hard. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait upon the Lord in this area. Especially if our reputation's at stake. Or what we think is our reputation. But 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, my adversary, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, there were those who were trying to tear David apart, but God was his shelter. And that's who David kept going back to in verse 3. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Or think about that. So David here just makes his case. If I'm guilty, then let my enemies, in this case, King Saul, have the best of me. But here's an important aspect. You see, David knew, this is really important, David knew that God knew that he wasn't guilty of what others were saying about him to King Saul. This is really important, especially for the pastorate. And I learned this principle from Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapels many, many years ago going to Bible college. Because when Pastor Chuck started Calvary Chapel, he was accused of a cult, of being a cult leader. And he was reaching out to the hippies and doing things that other churches were not doing. And so it, it was looked at as a cult. And Pastor Chuck shared with those who are possibly getting into the ministry at Bible College, you can't run around stomping out the little fires. And if you even try to do that, typically if you've been camping, and if there's something that that gets out of the fire and you go step on it, your foot sends sparks and you start more fires, Pastor Chuck just taught us, just serve the Lord. Just keep serving the Lord in honesty and in truth. If you did something wrong, admit it. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. If you didn't, just keep serving the Lord. It'll go away. And it did. But even in his final years, after serving the Lord for decades, there were still people out hunting Pastor Chuck accusing him of falsehoods and of this and of that, just various things. So that that could happen. Just keep taking it back to the Lord. Just keep taking it back to the Lord and allow the Lord to be your defense. 6 through 13. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. 
So the congregation of the people shall surround you for their sakes, therefore return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. Here we go back to that prayer. I would never pray. And I doubt that he was praying this after Bathsheba. He was just praying, mercy, mercy, I need mercy. Interesting. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge. So important to remember that. Let him be your judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Again, David seeks after the Lord to defend him. And for you and I, I would say the same thing. Rely upon the Lord's righteousness, not your own, ever. You see, David wanted God to rise up and smite his enemies, yet God is long-suffering. We shouldn't trust in ourselves, but rather continue to pray for those who are against us, leaving our case in the hands of the Lord. Because as we just read, God is a just God. In Matthew chapter 5, we read this, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now guys, this is Jesus teaching the disciples, the early pillars of the church. He is preparing them for who? Who comes on the scene, which I've already talked about? very early in the ministry. Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's persecuting and prosecuting the Christians, even bringing them back to Jerusalem to kill them. So for you and I, think of this in the early church. Just let's say that we're all the early church. And Saul's on the scene. And he's a Pharisee. And he's hunting us down. What would your prayer life be like? Would it be like King David's? Lord, just bust his teeth in. Break his arms. Kill him. God, just just wipe him off the face of the earth. Now, let me ask you, and, and you know, if you want to be honest, fine. If you don't, that's fine. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that for someone? I'm not afraid to raise my hand because I've prayed that prayer for somebody. It's not a good prayer. It's not a biblical prayer. Now, I'm sure there were others who were praying, Lord, touch Saul. God, save him. God, could you imagine if he gets saved, how on fire he'll be for you and what he will do for you? There were probably many that were praying, God, save him. And God did. And he went on to write almost half of the New Testament. So even in our prayer life, we have to be careful. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And this is going to become more and more practical as these days go by, guys, as far as Christianity is concerned in America. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Behold, back in Psalm 7, behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity, Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. 
Uh, it's interesting how David makes an illustration of sin out of a pregnancy. You women will appreciate this. You see, once sin is conceived, it will lead to the birth of falsehood. But David also acknowledges that those who cause trouble will have their trouble come upon themselves in due time. Notice in verse 15, he made a pit and he dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble, now the the he here, the his, is the wicked person. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Crown again there is basically your head. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8, where we find a warning for us even as believers. Not a warning necessarily for the wicked, although it would apply to the wicked. But Paul here is writing to the churches in the area of Galatia. So he's writing to the believers to do this. Do not be deceived. Interesting. There it is again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he that sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now for your older saints, you older saints, be a little patient with me because there may be a young believer in here that's like, huh? Okay, so when you receive Jesus as your Savior, we are made up of flesh or those fleshly, it's called the flesh in the Bible. There's those sinful desires that we have. And when you become a Christian, you all of a sudden realize, oh, that desire is sinful. I need to repent of that. And so you do something different, whatever that sin might be, to get away from that sin. But unfortunately, until the day we die, until the day we take our last breath, we have this body of flesh. And so we're going to be tempted. Now we have a decision to make. Do I feed the flesh? Do I feed that desire? Or do I read my Bible? Do I memorize scripture? Do I hang around like-minded believers at marriage night or, or with young families or at a home fellowship or on Wednesday night or a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study or a Christian concert? What do I do? As you feed the Spirit, which means as you give room for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, the Holy Spirit will keep those desires in check and you will not fulfill those desires. So that is what Paul is saying here. For he who sows to his flesh, even a Christian, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, notice capital S, Holy Spirit, he who gives room to the Holy Spirit to rule and reign over his life, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, God's timing is not our timing. Lord, kill Saul. You don't know what you're praying for. Lord, save Saul. That's a good prayer. Yeah, let's do that. And Saul received Jesus. You see, we have the whole counsel of God. We can see how important it is to pray for God's will to be done and not our own. That is so important. Because oftentimes when we go to prayer, we, we sometimes tell God how to do it. We, we like to direct God sometimes. 
And the older you get in the Lord, you come to realize, I am so short-sighted. God, thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. Thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. Back in Psalm 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. You see, I like this. As I read this verse, what, is Paul, what, what, is, what does David say? I will. What is that doing? It's making a commitment. I will. Not I might. Well, let me think about it. No, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will, notice again, will, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Even after everything that has taken place, being chased by Saul, King Saul, possibly up to 10 years, David acknowledges the Lord's righteousness and that he's going to exalt his name above his own. And when we seek out God's righteousness, we learn that our own righteousness always falls far short and that God has a bigger picture in mind. You see, God is not overly concerned. Now, as you read this slide, God is not overly concerned. I'm not saying that he's not concerned. I'm saying he's not overly concerned. God is not overly concerned about the temporal, but he is extremely concerned with the eternal. You see, all of us are marching, even this very moment, we are one moment closer to eternity. All of us in this room. And maybe you had a bad morning. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe this year has just been miserable for you. But it's temporary. It's temp- We're already May 14th. It's temporary. It's gone. It's not coming back. You're not reclaiming any of it. But we are closer to eternity. And what we do with the temporal, as we go through the temporal, because this is all temporal, 70, 80, 90 years, sooner or later, you're going to die, and that's it. The temporal's done. Now, you're, now it's no more temporal. Now it's eternal. So what we do in the temporal, by what comes into our lives temporarily, can affect the eternal. Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. There's going to be hay, wood, and stubble, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And all of that, as you read those verses, that all has to do with what have we done in the name of Jesus while we spent this temporal time on earth. It's going to be those eternal treasures, those eternal rewards that we're going to have. What did we do with that little dash? You know that dash on the headstone? Your birth date? Your end date, the little dash. What did we do with that little dash, that temporary dash that has an impact on eternity? That's why we're here this morning, guys. It's just that little dash. Some of us are really close to ending. You might think, wow, he thinks I'm old. No, you are old. (laughs) But 35,000 people died last year on American highways. This week could be it for me. No one knows. What are you doing with the dash? 
Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, and we thank you and praise you that when we are weak, when we are humble enough to acknowledge that we can't do it, when we finally get to that place of asking for more of your Holy Spirit, you're always there. And you always meet the need. Father, I thank you and praise you for the things that you've allowed to come into my life. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. And we just have to say thank you because you are a good, good father. And you really do know what is best. We're in the temporal. You're in the eternal. Father, continue to lift our eyes to the eternal that we might have a light touch on the temporal. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here today and you do not have Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you'd like to have Jesus become your Savior, if you're finally ready to surrender as most of us in this room have done. If you're willing to do this, you can pray this simple prayer and God will come into your life, the Holy Spirit will come into your hearts and the Holy Spirit will start to show you the truth of God's word and it will lead you on the straight and narrow path you will have the righteousness of God and you will become a son, a daughter of His. There is no other way of entering heaven. Jesus says, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to my Father except through me. I encourage you, receive Jesus. Just pray this simple prayer to receive Jesus. God, I need a Savior. I admit, I can't do it. I need you. So I repent right now. I turn to you right now. And I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I ask your Son and His sacrifice on the cross to cover all of my sins past, present, and future. God, I thank you that you accept me just the way I am. As I pray this simple prayer, your Holy Spirit now within me will guide me into all truth 
through your word. And God, I thank you that I can now call you Father. My Father. What a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you for this day. Be glorified in our midst. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus, come up. We'd love to pray for you and give God the praise. And we would like to give a praise real quick um, because a lot of times we hear prayer requests. We would like to give a praise. Uh, my wife, you know, she had, uh, she has stage 2 cancer, uh, had surgery 10 days ago. She's doing good. Scale of 10, her, her pain is about a 4. But this past Monday, all the tests came back. Uh, she had 12 more lymph nodes taken out. Uh, other tissue taken out and all the tissue came back clear of cancer. So praise God. So I want to give praise for that. And also Mary Kazarian, who is going to start chemo this coming week, Mary, this week. So keep Mary in your prayers this week. She has stage one cancer. Um, all of her tests so far have come back clear as well. So praise God for that. Amen. So God is good. So guys, if you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Have a blessed week, guys, and enjoy the day, ladies. Happy Mother's Day.